2: Bruce exclusive. Welcome back. You may be asking me why we're not talking about the 50 and three man roster today. Why are we not doing that? Well, I have some thoughts, three reasons. Number one, I went live on YouTube with Jay Spence, the King after the initial 53 man roster was done. The second reason is because a lot of things are going to change potentially between the time you're listening to this And the practice squad is fully set. And the third reason is because I'm sure I'm probably going to be talking about it Friday night on Food for Thought. So lest you actually get multiple versions of the 53-man stage, I don't want to devote an entire week to it. But like last week, last week I talked to Chris Chapasso from CBS Sports. And I did it because I was trying to get you ready for the start of college football season. Well, there's something else I'd like to get you ready for. And that is fantasy football drafts. Now, a lot of fantasy football drafts have already happened, but a lot of them take place between the third preseason game and the beginning of the regular season. I am in a fantasy football league that will draft tonight. If you are listening to this the day it comes out, which is Thursday, September 2nd. If you're listening to this the first day, because you're a super fan and that's what you do, if you do that, Then I'm in a league that goes tonight. So I want to help you out specifically as it relates to Buffalo Bills players, because unlike previous years, you can actually draft some, which is a nice start. But in order to do that, I wanted to have a guest because, you know, even though I am the champion of the Buffalo Bills BDN content creators, Dynasty League, I'm actually not super tuned into the fantasy football universe. It's just not a huge part of what I do. I was in only one league last year, and it was the league that I ended up winning. This year, I'm in two leagues, but there's somebody I know who's in lots of leagues, and not only is he in lots of leagues, he is actually now a co-host of the Cover One fantasy live show and podcast. Greg Thompson is here with me, ladies and gentlemen. Greg, how you doing, dude?
1: Always a pleasure to talk to you. It's, uh, it's good, and, and yes, although there are a lot of different labels for, for what I uh, enjoy with fantasy football. Some might throw around degenerate, uh, concerning problem, things like that. Uh, I, I did just count, I think I'm going to be in 24 leagues this year. Um, it's a lot, but it's a passion. I, I enjoy it very much. I actually, you know, like many fans turned to fantasy football during some of the darkest periods of the drought uh and made it more enjoyable to watch the rest of football and that part is kept up as now it's obviously more fun to uh you know be a fan of the bills and like you leaned on it's also kind of neat that now you can draft bills players and actually benefit from it stefan diggs won me The championship last year, I was going against Del Reed in
2: the championship. And of course, the public support was wildly on Del Reed's side. And Stephon Diggs, with his performance against the New England Patriots, won me that fantasy
1: league. So when he showed the deuces to JC Jackson, he also did that to Del Reed.
2: I wonder if Del knows that. (laughs) I wonder if we should tell Dell. I'm going to send him the picture of the deuces and just go, I I missed out on this because I'm not much of a trash talker. Greg, you know this from experiencing it. I'm just not a trash talker. I I don't do it well. It's not a big part of my personality. It doesn't make me comfortable. I'm not much of a a trash talker. And so it puts me in a kind of a strange position when you are in a fantasy football league because a big part of the social aspect of fantasy football is trash talking. Now, we're not going to go into tips today on trash talking because I have nothing to offer on that. But to be fair, I I have nothing to offer on a lot of things, but yet here we are. So (laughs) I wanted to touch base with you first before we even get started. Let's talk about the Cover 1 fantasy show. Because I didn't even know that it was coming until you announced it to the Cover 1 Slack channel, of which I am a member. And I said, oh, okay, it's coming. What was was the impetus to start the Cover 1 fantasy show?
1: So obviously there's a handful of folks on staff that are passionate fantasy football players and a handful that want nothing to do with it. Uh, so Eric is someone who just is not a huge fantasy person. Aaron honestly doesn't play that much. He does like one cover, one league each year. Um, Anthony Prohaska and myself are, are on the other side of the spectrum. And we had kind of been talking about the idea of would it, wouldn't it be fun if we tried to do something or try to pull together a show uh, since we're both passionate about it and enjoy it very much. And then a good friend of mine who was actually my college roommate, uh, Rich Haynes, is someone who used to host an internet radio show here in Cleveland and then had stepped away from that for a little bit. And we had approached him about something that he and I had talked about for a long time, wanted to do a show together and kind of threw it together that way. And uh, we went to Eric and said, Hey, this is our idea. We want to kind of have some fun and we do some different, you know, fun pop culture mashups that we throw in with there. It's still a fantasy football show, but sometimes we explain, you know, which quarterback is which of your fo- uh, favorite adult beverages and why Trevor Lawrence is the Mango White Claw of quarterbacks. It's a, uh, you know, very important to to be able to understand those things. Uh, but we have a lot of fun and we we have a pretty successful track record in fantasy. We in our opening show, we went through some of our previous uh, accomplishments and trophies and championships and um I won in the FFPC main event last year and uh, finished in the top 70 of everyone in the main event overall, including winning my league and have gone through several different uh, iterations of things. And hopefully we can help people, uh, you know, win most importantly, bragging rights, but also maybe a little bit of money uh, to go through this. So it's been a lot of fun. We've enjoyed it. We just did our 10th show this past week um, and are going to be going on number 11 here Friday night.
2: Now, this is important. How many belts do I have to win in order to be
1: a guest on the show? Um, You know, one, I think we'd love to have you on already, uh, just to be able to honestly just probably dunk on Nate Geary as much as possible to (laughs) to have it on and make sure that that people know that um, you were able to beat him. We actually have Marcel lined up for a show coming up here. So uh, consider yourself booked uh, based on your championship. I think uh, we'll, we'll submit you based on your... Uh, win ratio. You know, obviously you're you're one for one. Yeah, you you you've I was won one league and I won the championship. You have won every championship that you've been a part of. So uh, it certainly uh, stands to reason that that's the kind of you know historical Vince Lombardi, John Madden level uh, win percentage that we're looking for.
2: Good. Well, one of the things that people have not been able to do historically in the last twenty years that will help them win their lead was draft Buffalo Bills. But this year. That's different. And there are some things surrounding the Buffalo Bills on offense, obviously, unless you are one of those people who has, you know, defensive players in your fantasy football league. But there are some things that are narratives that are surrounding the Buffalo Bills offense that have to do a lot with fantasy and are going to impact a lot of fantasy. I want to start with right away with Josh Allen, because Josh Allen has been a significant fantasy asset and no more so than he was last year. In a lot of leagues, Josh Allen was the number one player, period, in fantasy football last year. And a lot of that comes from rushing touchdowns. But after you sign a quarter of a billion dollar contract, there is some discussion as to whether or not they would prefer that you not take on those goal line carries and short yardage carries because they think you might get hit a little bit. One of the things that was interesting last year is that the Buffalo Bills opened against the New York Jets, and Josh Allen set a career high for carries. And we said to ourselves, goodness gracious, is this what the offense is going to be like this year? But Josh Allen actually ran for less yardage overall last year than he did any previous year, but still got rushing touchdowns. So as you look at Josh Allen, I understand that the days of him running for 100 yards in three straight games are over. But... Do you think Josh Allen's still going to get rushing touchdowns? Is he going to be vulturing Zach Moss?
1: So I think the easy answer is yes. Now the, the harder answer is how many. So obviously having three straight seasons of eight plus touchdowns is historical. You know, he's on pace to be able to match or beat Cam Newton, who was, you know, arguably the greatest red zone threat in league history at, at one point. And is, in a similar range where when you're 6'5", 240, 250, the threat that he is to throw the ball, it's a really difficult position for defenders to be in. So I'm confident Josh Allen is going to score rushing touchdowns. Can you tell me a story where, what if that's only four? What if that's only five instead of eight? Um, Does that start to make the difference of being right there, you know, maybe, but I still feel confident that he gives you a really nice floor that is probably still above the rushing ability of an Aaron Rodgers, of a Russell Wilson, maybe even uh, above a Mahomes, Um, maybe not to what Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson are doing, uh, but it's still a really, you know, nice added bonus to the floor when you consider, you know, what we'll probably talk about next, the, the level of passing that the Bills offense still has.
2: So let's just go into that. Now, knowing that there's a possibility, you said, tell me a story, right? Knowing that there's a story that could come out of it where Josh Allen only throws four, he's only rushes for five touchdowns. He's still an elite QB one, right? He's still Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, as far as the fantasy side of things go. He's still an elite QB one, right? Is There's no scenario, there's no story we can tell you where Josh Allen has his rushing so significantly hampered that he becomes a mid-range QB1, right?
1: Correct. And the way that I'll frame it is looking at previous historic rises in quarterback play compared to the following season so when um and, and again this is all kind of scoring system dependent so you know don't hold me exactly to these ranks depending on what your league scoring is um, but in most leagues where it's either a six-point passing touchdown or four-point passing touchdown um you look at patrick mahomes 50 touchdown season you know over 5500 yards the next year he regressed because you know anything lower than 5500 yards and 50 touchdowns is regression he still was quarterback 5. Um Lamar Jackson 2 years ago was the runaway MVP, unanimous MVP, you know, won lots of people their fantasy championship. Um he fell back this year and was quarterback 8. Um I think that's what you're talking about with Josh Allen from a floor standpoint and I even think that some of the potential regression red flags that I think you've spoken about previously were a bit more prevalent in Lamar Jackson's performance because so much of it was passing touchdown uh, related and that his touchdown percentage was so much of a historical anomaly, it was just virtually impossible for someone who passes that infrequently to have that many touchdowns again. Well, Josh didn't have that many anomalies in his passing. There aren't a ton of you know, um, the analytics community would be throwing them at us right now. If there were obvious red flags about this is for sure going to come back down. Now, overall, do I think it's possible that he has less than 4,900 yards and 46 total touchdowns? Of course. He could still have a very good season and have 4,400 yards and 42 touchdowns, and that would technically be regression. I think that's the kind of range we're talking about here. Um, You look at historical seasons after Aaron Rodgers had his crazy season. He still was very, very good. It just came back down a little bit so i think josh allen still has the upside to finish his qb1 which he did in many many leagues last year um and the downside i think you're you're pretty safe that worst case scenario you have quarterback five six seven eight that ballpark and i'd probably say qb6 is realistically the floor of where i think he's going to come because he still has that rushing ability and one of the past happiest offenses in the nfl
2: So quarterbacks are always funny for me in fantasy because one little change can take them from being a fairly reasonable position of need to an extremely important position. And that's the addition of a super flex spot. Our dynasty league has a super flex spot. And because of it, quarterbacks are heavily valued because what it does is in a 12-team league, ideally you want to start two quarterbacks. Well, that's 24 right there. There's only 32 starting quarterbacks. So you run into significant supply and demand issues. So one change to league scoring, really changes a lot when it comes to quarterback availability. If you are in a league where you do not have that, you don't have a super flex spot. As such, most teams only carry two quarterbacks as opposed to a super flex league where they might carry three or four quarterbacks. So in the event that you're in a league that only carries two for the most part, right? You're not in a two quarterback league. It's a single quarterback league. Josh Allen is every single person's qb1 right i mean he's the top 12 fantasy quarterback unquestionably right
1: absolutely heck i think he's the quarterback one in in many people's a lot of our listeners right now in the home league that you guys are playing in josh allen's gonna be the first quarterback off the board so uh in most (laughs) leagues nationwide it's probably gonna be patrick mahomes um but beyond that i'll tell you across the country and and I've done. Um, we we're very fortunate that the folks at Underdog have supported us in our uh, Cover One Fantasy Show. I've done fifty five drafts on Cover One Underdog uh, their app so far. I can tell you, Josh Allen is the second quarterback off the board almost every single time, and is the first quarterback off the board in. of the leagues that people take him over Mahomes. Um, And very, very rarely is he not a top two quarterback. So if you want Josh Allen this year, you're not going to be able to wait. We
2: are here with Greg Tomset, host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast, and also co-host of the Cover One fantasy football show on the Cover One podcast network. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We're going to have a different discussion about... A little bit more controversial of buffalo bills fantasy football topics stick with me we'll be right back support for this show
0: comes from sylvan learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team now more than ever educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference
2: Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We are here with Greg Tomset, co-host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast and co-host of the Cover One fantasy show on the Cover One podcast network. And we just had a conversation about everybody's favorite fantasy stud, Josh Allen, person who won a lot of Buffalo Bills fans a lot of leagues last year because the overwhelming majority of people who took Josh Allen last year were probably Bill's fans because then he had a crazy psychotic year and won a lot of people fantasy championships. So your Bill's Homerism has paid off for you this one time, but there is another area where your Homerism that leans one running back or another might cost you. And that is Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Everybody in the fantasy football community wants to try to figure out who the guy is. I did an article earlier this offseason for BallerOnlings.com where I said, I don't think the Bills believe in it. Like I just don't on a fundamental level, they don't believe in a Bell Cow. It's just not a thing that is in their DNA. But fantasy football players want to know who are gonna get the goal line carries, who are gonna get the catches. What 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 guidance do you have for me on Devin Singletary and Zach Moss?
1: It's definitely one of the most challenging positions to peg. And I can tell you that's not just in Bill's fandom. Um, They are one of the latest backfields being drafted in all of fantasy so you can get zach moss anywhere in the 9th 10th 11th round you can get devin singletary in the 10th eleventh, 12th round um i actually know a couple people rich haynes uh, on the cover one fantasy show is a big advocate of getting them both because you if you can use a 10th and 11th round pick and end up with a whole backfield of a pretty good offense and then just hope one of them takes a step forward um the way that I look at it is I, I know a lot of really smart people that have explained and, and like I said earlier, kind of told the story of how Zach Moss could take over this backfield, uh, Joe Biscalia being one of them and one of the larger advocates for it, um, that just with what he showed last year during the season, the progression that was there, some of the skill set, you, you see you know, maybe two of the runs in the preseason game Saturday that got called back by penalty, you see some of that. I'm one that's on the other side of that coin. I love the value of where Devin Singletary is going. I get him late in a ton of leagues. Um back-to-back 950 yard from scrimmage seasons. You know, 48 uh targets to 17 targets and still has plenty of usage in the backfield. You saw, you know, some of the the touchdowns that he scored in in the preseason here. I don't think it's as automatic as people think of oh when we get into X He's out and Moss is in. Um, I do think that if it's you know literally a handoff from the two, you're there. But it, it certainly had to give people some some agita here and seeing Reggie Gilliam get those short yardage carries uh, <laughs> here recently. Um, so it's it's a little muddy, and I think that the higher floor and the better value is waiting and taking Devin Singletary. Although I don't think the plan of oh it could. You know, be taken over by Zach Moss is crazy. I I can see that. I don't think it's as likely as some people, especially outside of the Bills' realm, took some of Joe's comments and now are staking a claim that no, Zach Moss is going to be the RB1. I advocate there is not going to be an RB1. I simply think that some of the more valuable touches, especially in in points per reception leagues where you're rewarded for catching the ball, um, I think that Devin Singletary could be the more valuable asset, and especially when he's going a round or two later, I think that's worth taking him there. Um, but I don't think it's crazy to take both and be able to have a, a backfield locked up and you, you never root for injury. But if, you know, God forbid, something happened during the year, maybe one of them would be a bit more valuable uh, for that stretch.
2: Feels to me like a high floor flex with the upside of a being an RB2.
1: Yeah, exactly. I don't think either of them are going to be a story we tell of how they won your league. I think they're going to be nice, steady contributors. They are part of a good offense. I think they can score some points. Um, I don't think anyone is going to ride either Moss or Singletary to a fantasy championship.
2: And that's really the thing. When you're taking somebody in the 10th, 11th, 12th round, you have to understand, where am I going for here? Am I going boom or bust? Am I trying to find a sleeper? Or am I trying to find someone who I know that if one of my players gets hurt or is on by, I can at least get some points from this person. I know I'm going to get something. From this person, they're not going to strike out and get me, you know, point two and then get hurt and leave. that's just, you know, it's not going to be something that you're going to think you're going to see because, you know, they're going to have steady production. I have Hunter Renfro on my bench for exactly that reason. I know that Hunter Renfro in a PPR league is going to get me five or six points if I need him to throw in for something right now, based on my particular bench. If Hunter Renfro is starting for me, something's gone horribly, horribly wrong, but that's the kind of player who you want. At the, if you have part of a backfield committee, sometimes we have a tendency to view that as a negative thing. But if you have a backfield committee and they're being drafted appropriately, you know, the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th round, if you have a backfield committee, it can give you that high floor because you know, they're going to get some touches.
1: I'll even give a comparison. If your RB two on your team is more in the maybe rookie upside range and you took a shot on Trey Sermon or Javante Williams uh, or one of the gentlemen in that area, you might want a steadier, more dependable guy because you're not sure when or if those guys are going to take over that backfield. You feel like maybe at some point they will, but maybe it's not early on. And maybe I need somebody to plug in there to get a little bit more dependable touches early. Whereas if maybe your RB2 is more of the Mike Davis, Miles Gaskin kind of guy, Maybe you feel like you already kind of have a steady guy who doesn't have a ton of upside. Maybe you want to take a higher upside stab at a different player in that ninth, 10th, 11th round range um, that maybe has a little bit more upside to hit on something and you're you know not rooting for injury but you're taking more of a handcuff like a tony pollard behind zeke elliott you're taking an alexander madison behind uh, delvin cook that don't have a ton of value unless something happens but if something happens you really hit on a springboard and top end position um, so it's just different strategies of how that goes and you can kind of pair that based off who your rb2 is whether you are looking for upside or maybe you want the safer uh, more reliable option uh, and that might be a, do- a good way to look at it
2: There are two disciplines that I think that we don't talk about enough when it comes to fantasy football. It's economics, specifically supply and demand and risk management, because a lot of fantasy football is economics and it is risk management. And there are things that you have to understand based on the way you build your team at the bottom is very similar to the way you build your team at the top. They have to match. They have to go together like you're just talking about. If you went all of one thing that's usually a bad idea if you go all rookie upside they're not all going to hit it's just not the way it's just not going to happen right i'll never forget when my when my brother and i were in a league together he took calvin johnson as a rookie and he said this is the year this guy he took him way way high now calvin johnson is perfectly reasonable rookie year but he was like no this is the one this is the one but thankfully he just took that one shot every single one of his picks was not no this is the one well, you just said the last one was the one. Well, no, no, no. This this is also the one, right? And you have to balance what you do at the top with what you do at the bottom. That's risk management. But it's also supply and demand. And it's kind of predicting the future. But I kind of want to talk about other positions now in the Buffalo Bills. And I want to talk about Emmanuel Sanders. Specifically, Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis. And here's the reason why. Everyone knows Stefan Diggs is the alpha in the Buffalo Bills passing game. He's your wide receiver One. As I mentioned previously, he helped me win the league. We all know that Cole Beasley is a starting slot receiver. His role is very, very set in stone. What you don't think about very much and what are kind of making people uncomfortable is Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis because it could go one way. It could go another way. It could be split down the middle. The Bills run a ton of 11 personnel. They run some 10. They run 10 personnel, but they're not a base 10 personnel offense. It's not like you're going to get equal snaps from equal opportunities across the board with Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis. Now you might end up with equal production, but that, that doesn't mean you're going to get equal cracks at it. So for us, it's like, okay, Emmanuel Sanders is somebody who the bills have been openly pining for, for a long time. Brandon Bean has had the apple of his eye for a long time. So the fact that they did that after cutting John Brown, not knowing at that time they were going to Emmanuel Sanders, that's important. They cut John Brown. They didn't know at the time they were going to get Emmanuel Sanders. So they had to have felt at least okay with the possibility of Gabriel Davis to come in. They could have been okay with that. So it's not like they're poo-pooing on Gabriel Davis by bringing Emmanuel Sanders, which I think is a lot of the interpretation is, well, if they thought Gabriel Davis was ready, they would have gone with him. Well, clearly they were okay with the idea because they got rid of John Brown without there being a backup plan. I think if they weren't okay with Gabriel Davis taking meaningful snaps, they would have tried to restructure John Brown. So clearly, they're okay with Gabriel Davis, but yet they still add in Emmanuel Sanders. This is a really, really tough call to make because some people are like, okay, we're just replacing a vet with a vet. John Brown out, Emmanuel Sanders in. Gabriel Davis is going to sit and wait his turn. He's going to be a meaningful part of the offense. It'll be a 400 to 500-yard year. He's probably going to see touchdown regression because we saw a lot of touchdowns per catch, as you mentioned with Lamar Jackson, with passing touchdown percentage. Reception touchdown percentage was really high for Gabriel Davis last year. So we're probably going to see some touchdown regression from him. And he's probably not going to be anything more than a bench spot or Emmanuel Sanders comes in. They run a lot more 10 personnel or Gabriel Davis overtakes the vet at some point becomes the number two receiver in a pass happy offense. There's lots of stories you can
1: tell. Greg, help me. What do I do here? So this is what I think is the largest misconception outside of the Bills fan base in fantasy football. There are a lot of people who are huge advocates because of, anyone who's not aware, the efficiency at which Gabriel Davis produced last year was very high. He's very much a darling of the analytics crowd. And then when John Brown left... That has equated to, oh my gosh, Gabriel Davis is going to explode. You mm-hmm. then add into that, Emmanuel Sanders, you know, raw numbers the last three years have been okay. You know, 868 yards, 869 yards, 725 last year. Um, it's very easy to kind of, you know, dismiss that and be like, all right, well, that's nothing, you know, special. The challenge is that when you look at it, it was an awful lot of. Paxton lynch and brock osweiler and drew lock and <laughs> the the skeletal remains of drew Brees and Taysom hill there wasn't a lot throwing the ball to emmanuel sanders and i can tell you getting to see him a couple times in person now he still has a lot of juice left so the challenge i run into is the bills were the second highest 10 personnel in the league last year it was still only 14, 16% Mm. range. They had a tight Mm -hmm. end on the field 84% of the time. And I don't think that's drastically changing. We see that, you know, little, um, you know, almost pistol formation they do when you have uh, the second tight end in the backfield and Dawson Knox comes back, there almost a pass block in, in many of those sets. I don't think that's going away. Now, maybe we increase and we go from the second most 10 personnel to the most. That's still talking about from 14 to 16 to maybe 18 to 20. It's not all of a sudden going to... We're not going to be 10% out 50% of the time. So there is a limitation on the number of snaps we're going to see. Last year, if you look at the snap count, when Gabriel Davis played, it is a direct correlation to John Brown's injury and his slow recovery from that injury. And that in games when John Brown was there, he was... 18, 22, 26 snaps. A legitimate contributor, not 45, 50 snaps that you need from an every down top three receiver, which is what you saw with Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, and honestly, with John Brown in the games he was healthy. Now, like you said, I I don't know that it's 100% Emmanuel Sanders steps in fully for John Brown, and Gabe Davis is only a wide receiver four. I think that there's some usage in the slot that Emmanuel Sanders can give Cole Beasley maybe more of a breather than he had last year. Um, I don't think Stephon Diggs is coming off the field very often, if at all. Um, So I think that there's a little bit of a hedge there, maybe 10% less snaps from Cole Beasley that Sanders can be the slot guy and that's an extra 10% that actually goes to Gabe Davis. But I still think he's fourth, and honestly, maybe a little bit of a more distant fourth than people are going to want to see in snap count in this wide receiver room. Um, I think he's the highest upside handcuff in the wide receiver range. And if anything happens to those top three guys, that efficiency matters. I think he's a great investment in Dynasty uh, or Keeper Leagues where you might, you know, we do have 34 and 33-year-old receivers in this room that we don't know if either of them are going to be on this team next year. Um, I think there's a great investment long-term in Gabe Davis. I'm honestly kind of fading him a little bit this year just because people are taking him earlier than I'm comfortable with the amount of snaps I think he's going to get. So I, I like Gabe Davis. I'm a big fan long-term. I don't think that is in 2021. I think we're going to have to wait a year to see that breakout. and I'll use some comparisons that people knew Devontae Adams was really good when Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb were getting all the snaps and all the targets. He wasn't bad. He wasn't not ready. They just had better guys who were getting more snaps at the time and more catches at the time. And then he exploded and blossomed. For him, that explosion and blossoming was year four and year five. He he toiled for three years as a nice usable kind of fantasy darling that people were hoping could break out. And I'm not saying that Gabriel Davis is going to be Devontae Adams. That's not the case I'm making, but it's not always a pure matter of talent alone in a vacuum that you need the situation. You need talent to line up with opportunity and fantasy. I don't know that Gabe Davis has that opportunity for what people are looking for for this year. Um, you know, what's there. If you're in a dynasty or keeper league, by all means invest in him and see if you can hit on something next year.
2: This question ties the Gabriel Davis conversation in with the tight end conversation that we're going to have. And that is you and I both just said, yeah, the Bill's run some 10 personnel, but even the second most 10 personnel in the league is still not very much. Could you just see more of it? I mean, if your options last year, right, were having your fourth wide receiver on the field or having Dawson Knox, then maybe you're like, OK, well, yeah, sure. Let's have Dawson Knox. If the answer this year is between your fourth wide receiver being Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox. Do you think it might inspire the Bills to run more 10? And would that amount of 10, like would that be significant enough to matter for Gabriel Davis's value? <sighs>
1: so i'm I'm trying to scramble to see if i can find the number on sharp football stats just to make sure i don't misquote it do you want Um, me to keep talking and stalling because i can do that (laughs) no no i found it i found it greg i did an entire episode that was musically based i know how to stall So I, I found it while we were going here, and I actually quoted it almost exactly right. That So the Bills last year were number two in the NFL, and they were number two by a lot. So number three in the NFL last year was a tie between Cincinnati and Tampa Bay, who both ran 5% of their snaps in 10 personnel. Every other team was at 0, 1, 2, or 3. Two teams were at 5, uh, Tampa Bay and Cincinnati. The Bills were at 15 more than triple the third most. And then the Arizona Cardinals were number one at 20% with 215. So the the Cardinals were only 30 snaps more than the Bills, and those two were far, far away from every other team in the NFL. I I just find it hard to believe that based on the success rate and how analytically driven this front office is, they, they, unless they think they're simply gonna unlock something that no other team in the NFL has figured out yet, um, I would be very surprised if that goes beyond what Arizona did, which was the most in the NFL by a ton at 20% and maybe 30 more snaps. Um, so now if those 30 more snaps all go to Gabe Davis and we carve out a little bit more, In the usage of Emmanuel Sanders instead of being in there for Gabe Davis that he gives Cole Beasley a blow I think that you can tell a story where maybe you can get a slight increase in the snap count uh, for Gabe Davis and get him back up into a range that you want to see overall Um, I just I I don't know that we're gonna see it in the way that people want I, I, I still think it's going to be fourth most on the team Uh, short of injury uh, and that that's going to be tough to be able to have enough for it to net out for a redraft or this year's fantasy results.
2: A lot of things have to go right. A lot of things have to go right
1: for Gabriel Davis. So the player, unfortunately wrong for someone else
2: or wrong for something else. So the player that you are putting on the field for Gabriel Davis is Dawson Knox. Now Dawson Knox has always had the athletic gifts necessary to be a meaningful impact player. But this is a wide receiver-centric offense for the Buffalo Bills. Is Dawson Knox worthy of a roster spot?
1: (laughs) Uh, I think that is a very fair question, and it is a resounding yes. Dawson Knox is an NFL-caliber tight end. Now, I've been an open advocate of the fact that the Bills don't have a tight end one. We have a guy who has to play the most snaps for tight end, and that happens to be Dawson Knox. I don't believe he is across the board on most NFL rosters a starting tight end. He's just our starting tight end. Uh, but it's also way too far to say that he doesn't deserve a roster spot or shouldn't be in the NFL. I do think he's an NFL okay, caliber. Let me, let me
2: rephrase that roster spot on your fantasy team. Not on an NFL team.
1: (laughs) Like, Um, should he be a drafted player? (laughs) That's my question. Tight end premium leagues. There's a few I'm in where there's two starting tight end spots. So like you touched on with Superflex in uh, quarterbacks, it really balances things out. Some, you also add the 1.5 tight end. I've heard a few people that I trust tell a story that, you know, the Bills set the NFL record last year for the most different players to catch a touchdown pass in a season. Well, that's kind of a random record. That's not exactly a goal. You're not you're not trying to I take that back. In week 17, they were they were trying to do that. Um I don't think that was a goal going into the season to to break that record. Um so I I think that, you know, if you told me at the end of the year that, you know, somehow Dawson Knox had 42 catches for 430 yards but it happened to stumble into nine touchdowns like a random Eric Ebron season we've seen here and there or some of those I don't think that's very likely but it's not crazy like this team might score you know 60 touchdowns again of course it's possible that some you know that he just happens to stumble into those he's a big athletic red zone weapon he's in the game a lot um i don't think that's the most likely thing to happen um i do think there's very much a cap on his targets a cap on his yards but you know, touchdowns are a high variance element in fantasy. In that, if um, I will say if you're gonna go with one of the stud tight ends early, and you get a George Kittle, a Darren Waller, a Travis Kelsey, and then you just wait till the very end of the draft, you can pick worse players than a uh, than a Dawson Knox. He's at least part of a high high powered, high passing level offense. So it can make sense to, to take a shot on him. Um, I, I think there's, you know, I'd rather take a shot on a Blake Jarwin or someone like that, having a role. He's going very late in drafts. Uh, there's some guys I I like Tyler Higby very lot, uh, a lot later. There's guys that I like Gerald Everett switching over to Seattle, but going with the LA coordinator, uh, to Russell Wilson. Um, it's, I would prefer to take a shot there, but I don't think it's crazy to take a shot uh, in the last round of your draft on a guy like Dawson Knox, if you think he could stumble into some of that touchdown luck.
2: Now, it's very important that we know that I could hear what Greg said, but there was somebody in the background of Greg who could not hear what he said. So that was really important. So he has some AI behind him that's obviously <laughs> helping him with his fantasy football drafts who could not hear what he said. Ladies and gentlemen, we have unmasked here on the Bruce exclusive. We have unmasked previous assumed fantasy stud greg thompson actually getting help from artificial intelligence i about to break this story wide open ladies and gentlemen thank you so much I make, no I make no apologies i appreciate apologies. you i appreciate you being here greg ladies and gentlemen thanks for joining us for this edition of the bruce exclusive greg before we get out of here want to tell everyone where they can find you what you are up to you know what's coming down the pike from greg
1: Absolutely, I yeah, appreciate it. Always a, a pleasure talking with you. I'm a huge, huge fan of everything that you guys are doing uh, overall at Buffalo Rumbleys, specifically everything you're doing. You obviously know I'm a huge fan. Uh, we are having a great time over at Cover One. We've expanded into daily coverage now. We have a show for you each day of the week. We'll be going across the board each night during the week. I'll be on Wednesday night with Aaron doing preview shows uh, each Wednesday during the season, being able to lead you up and get you ready for that matchup, and then immediately following each game, doing a live post game show right afterwards. A one postgame show uh, there for you all season long really excited and you know there's reason to be excited as a Bills fan this year and cover one's going to be there for you to to be able to help you enjoy every step of the way
2: well thank you for being here and for those of you who aren't into fantasy and just completely skipped over the vast majority of this podcast listen I gotta be honest you miss some good stuff you missed some clever jokes and I gotta be honest that's the way the cookie crumbles I'm Bruce Nolan Buffalo Runner.